Hello, legends. Welcome to today's show. Catching up with Cub, as always, is brought to you by Cub, the Club of United Business, Australia's number one members club connecting our country's top entrepreneurs and business leaders. And today we're catching up with Cub member David Ahern, the CEO of Across the Ocean Shipping. ATO Shipping is an international freight forwarding company with offices here in Australia, in the US and in the Netherlands. David told an incredible story of his journey migrating here from England with absolutely nothing, coming across a strange man in a small dingy bar in Thailand, having a conversation that would change his view on life and lead him to build an incredibly successful freight forwarding company here in Australia, making sure we all get the nice stuff that we want into this country. And David shares his two keys to business, being great at what you do and being good to your customers. He's a really cool guy. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the first episode of 2022. We are fast approaching our 100th episode. I actually don't know what episode this is. This is episode 95. Can you believe, David, that I have talked 95 hours of shit? Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I can, Daniel. <laughs> well, welcome to the show because we're about to make it 96. No, this, no sorry, 95. <laughs> but uh, welcome the, to the show, Mr. Hearn. Um, I actually wanted to start with a very uh, ran, uh, strange question perhaps for you. But you are in the freight forwarding industry space. Tell me, how does one think? Oh, yeah, I want to get into that space. <laughs> yeah, what was, what's the what, what was the how? Well, first of all, thank you for having me on your show, Daniel. It's a pleasure to be here. But um, freight forwarding, yes, very, very, very interesting question. Not many people know what freight forwarders are. Obviously, over the last eighteen months, we've we've become more prominent. Um, particularly in the news with the, the fractured supply chains globally. But um, I literally, I was at school, I, I did my sixth form, I had no idea of what I wanted to do. I had a, a strong interest in geography and travel and I saw a job for a, a freight forwarder close to where I lived in Litchfield and uh, it was a um, management trainee role. So I applied for it, heard nothing and... Uh, about six weeks later, I got a phone call one lunchtime. Would you like to come in for an interview? Great. Went in for an interview. Just walked in, small office in Litchfield. There's about 15 staff and they just blew my socks off. We're an international freight forwarder. We've got offices in New York and Chicago. We can send you to these places. If you do well for us, this is what you can do and you'll learn all aspects of the business. So I was like, great. Right, okay. Um, salary. $7,000 a sorry, £7,000 a year, which is $14,000 a year. <laughs> Rich. <laughs> I've made it big time. I was actually taking a pay cut from leaving my, my job at Tesco's, you know, working on the checkouts to go and work in freight forwarding. But I saw it as a career opportunity and I was excited by the potential that it could bring. So what we do as a freight forwarder is is we, we move freight around the world. So by containers, you see those big container vessels out in Melbourne port right now, and we move those around the world, the, the containers, which can be anything from construction equipment to mining equipment to people's personal effects. Um, we also move air freight as well globally. Obviously, the last two years has, has took a bit of a hammering with with the, the air freight industry. But um, yeah, so and if you think about globalisation, and you look around this room right now, everything's probably been imported and somebody has to import that. That's what we do. It's, um, it's a funny thing because it's, it's one of those, well, first of all, it's just the most logistical business you could possibly ever come across. It's a highly organized business, but, but, um, it's also like you're saying, if you look around at every, basically every single thing in this room has been freight forwarded, yep. <laughs> has been freighted yep. from somewhere. You know, so it's one of those businesses where, where people like you have a tremendous impact on on society, on especially Australia, since we're in the middle of nowhere, everything's got to be shipped in because of companies like yourself and because of business owners like you. And um, and to actually hear the story, it'd probably be cool today to tell the story of 
how freighting works and what what you know why it's such a in demand um i mean it's a very uh, i'd imagine anyway it's a very stressful business because you know you're dealing with shipping and and oceans and fucking shit that gets put in stuff wrong and uh, yeah organizing and I, I can just imagine um it being incredibly hard but because of the work you do and business owners like you do we all get the nice shit that we like so uh, thank you. <laughs> I just want to thank my mum. <laughs> I could write a book on some of the some of the stories we have had over the years with with problems. I mean, right now my phone's been ringing off the hook since five thirty this morning. Since the minute I turned my phone on, our office in the USA, we've got a, a container of oak, big French oak beams that we've we've exported out of France into Houston. Customs over there have rejected them because they were heat treated at 56 degrees, not 71 degrees. This is despite these these goods going into America for, you know, the past three, four years. So this customs officer has rejected, rejected it and told us we've got seven days to get it back out of the country or destroy the goods. Otherwise, we get a fine of $200,000. What? That's at 5.30 in the morning. Now, I don't normally turn my phone on in the morning until I've done my workout and I've had my breakfast because I don't want to be stressed out. I want a clear mindset. But I knew this was bubbling on in the background and I needed to get online early if in case uh, our guys in the US come back to me. So, yes, it can be a stressful <laughs> industry and, yeah, there's a lot going on. Well, I can imagine. Well, okay, let's – do you have a morning routine then? Because, I mean, I'm imagining, like you're saying, there's this thing – because you're also dealing in different time zones, which which I know from speaking to other members that run uh, international businesses can be uh, – a, a, a big headache. Do you, do you need to structure your day quite well in order to kind of stay whole? Absolutely. When I first set this business up 13 years ago, it was it was work 24/7, constant, constant, and I was burning out very quickly. And um, it was it was over a period of time that I thought I need to get I need to get my shit sorted because I'm not being a nice person in the office. So. The only part of the day you're really in control of as a freight forwarder is the start of your day. Because we work with these time zones. If you look, um, say 11 o'clock in the morning, China come online, Asia come online. Then 4 o'clock in the afternoon, Europe come online. And then 10 o'clock at night, you've got the East Coast of, uh, of America coming online. So it's, it's, a, constant, it's a constant battle. Um, you're constantly chasing your tail. There is no 9 to 5 with this job. So I decided probably about four years ago that – you know what, I need to change my morning routine. So I now get up in the morning, 5.30, alarm goes off. I go and do boot camp five days a week outside, rain, hail, sunshine. I'm there doing it. And that makes that gets the blood flowing. I, I try and go for a run afterwards, knock out 5Ks where I can. And it just, it just motivates me for the day then. I, I come back, we have breakfast as a family, have a have a cold shower, get the blood flowing, and then uh, I'm usually at my desk for sort of nine thirty in the morning. Then I'm ready to face the day. And you know what? If you can go through that in the morning before you get in the office, you can face anything. I agree. The, the morning it, you have most power and control in the morning, and the fact that you actually know the times that all these company uh, countries turn on into <laughs> relation to our time is actually a bit scary. But but and, and so you're obviously from England. What's the? How, how did you guess? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you look like you like bees, but <laughs> but um, what's the story with with Australia? So how did you find yourself um, wanting to leave England, and what was the reason? Have you seen the weather in England? Yeah, it's shocking. But then why did I move to Melbourne? <laughs> um, basically, as a kid growing up, I'd always had a fascination with Australia. I, I'd always found it a really interesting place. It was exotic. You get the Bush Tucker man on TV, and you'd see him, you know, eating witchetty grubs, and then you, you got Steve Irwin, and he's wrestling with crocodiles, and you think, wow, this is this is pretty awesome. And you got Crocodile Dundee, and it's like I fancy a bit of that. You don't get that in Birmingham, so um, I just had a fascination with, with coming over here. And I remember I was about fourteen, and there was a kid in our class who'd come to Australia, and nobody in our school had ever to Australia and he come back in the in the middle of January snow on the ground he got this bronze suntan 
It's like, whoa, <laughs> what's going on here? Is that I, what sun looks like? <laughs> yeah. So um, I was like, right, I need to go to Australia at some point. So once I started my working life, I got to the age of 24 and I just got, I wanted to get out of the nine to five rat race. I was finding myself in the nine to five rat race. I was a freight forwarder over in the UK. We were, we were shipping things to all these exotic places around the world. I wanted to go and explore them. So um, I decided to quit my job and um, I was going to go away for six months tra- traveling around Asia as most of us backpackers do and but my main focus was Australia. But, uh, so I got, I got to Australia and I ended up spending six months here driving across from Perth all the way up uh, over the Nullarbor up, up, the, up the East Coast and had a ball and then sort of carried on my journey. It was a 12-month trip in total. Got back home and um, my girlfriend at the time said, you know what, yeah, she came over and met me a couple of times and said, um, if you want to move to Australia, let's give it a go. And then bizarrely, that weekend, I'd bought a bought a newspaper, local newspaper, just to read, you know, the football. And there it was in in the local newspaper, Australian migrant visa specialist in town next weekend, thirty pound, come along. So, wow, okay. So we went along. She went through my skill set, freight forwarder. Nah, <laughs> we're not letting you in. Um, you don't meet the criteria. But um, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, she was a nurse. She was a mental health nurse. And as soon as she found out she's a mental health nurse, she was like, we need you. So um, we applied for our visa. We told it to take six months. It took two years. And that's when I quickly realised things don't move too quickly in Australia. No, they do not. <laughs> it's funny that, isn't it? It is still a much more a country town than than the, you know, than the rest of the civilised world. Like you go to the US and it's bang, everything straight away. You go to Europe, I mean, while things do take a bit of time, but even in Europe, the internet is incredibly fast. Like, have you ever noticed that? In Australia, your fastest internet is still a big piece of shit, but in like Paris and London, you, you press a button, there's no load time. It goes, bing, it's yeah. just straight there. It did frustrate the hell out of me for probably about two years when I first come over here. Fuck, go, have you been to Fiji? <laughs> Fiji time. Yeah. Oh, Bula. I can't do that. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I, and, and that's one of the reasons I ended up in Melbourne. It was Brisbane and Perth were just a little bit too slow. We need to be moving. So, um, yeah, that's why I ended up in Melbourne. And what made you then um, start your business? What? How, where did that come from? So on the way over to Australia, we decided to spend six weeks traveling through India and Nepal which was quite quite an experience. Um, It'd be a, a crazy place, I can oh, imagine. I've never been. Just an overload of senses, the sight, smell, the, the noise. India is an intense place, but it's also, it is also amongst everything, it's a very beautiful place as well, and there's some really, really beautiful people there, and it's an experience. It really is a cultural experience. Each part of India is very different in cuisine and, and, you know, architecture and it, it was amazing. It was really good. But when I got on that plane leaving Delhi Airport, I just breathed a sigh of relief. It was uh, it was hard, but I did it. I faced it. And it was while we were tra- trekking up in Nepal um, that I, I, I decided that, you know what, we're going to Australia. I've got nothing to lose. Why don't we just give it a go? And I'll try and set up my own freight forwarding business. I mean... How difficult can it be? <laughs> so um, when I landed in Australia, um, it was early 2008, I, I worked for a couple of companies temporary, just, just getting a feel for the local market. And um, I spoke to a friend of mine and he, he built me a cheap website. It was $500. I had to pay on credit because I didn't have any money whatsoever. He built me the website and we ran a Google AdWords campaign which at the time, back in 2008, Google AdWords was was really cheap. And I just targeted personal effects. So people migrating around the world that had to move their freight, you know, their, their, their worldly contents. So, so there was a lot of migration going on. And um, I thought, you know what, if I, if I hit that up, it's all cash up front. I've got no commercial, commercial contacts here in Australia. So I, I can't just go after commercial business. If I build the business through personal effects, 
one shipment a month, then it becomes one one shipment a week, and it just keeps ticking over. Um, so I did that, and over two years, I, I'd, I'd I'd built up, you know, money within the business with all this with all this cash up front for personal effects, and it is personal effects are really hard. A lot of freight forwarders will not touch personal effects. There's you're going around people's houses, you're visualizing their goods, you're measuring them. Bear in mind, I'd never been around people's houses and measured stuff before. It was, um, I learned as I went along. Why do you have to go to their house and measure it? Because you've got to see what fits in the container. And the cubic, so even if that person hasn't got enough uh, freight for a container, you've got to measure it out and work out exactly what the cubic measurement size is. So say you look around this room now, maybe two cubic meters of, of cargo once it's all packed. I had to work that out and then prepare a quote based on that two cubic meters. If if when it got to the depot, it turns out three and a half cubic meters, that's on me. I can't go back to the client unless they've added anything extra to it. So that was a, that was a process. And you know. but so but so if someone was moving to Australia, how are you measuring their stuff? Because their stuff might be in England. So the, this was all exports out of Australia. Oh, okay. So that so people I, leaving Australia. Yeah, I, I I concentrated on the local market, people moving out, and at the same time, whilst we were we shipping freight to these agents in other countries, we were finding these agents in other countries to do the destination side, clear it, deliver it. They'd say, "Oh, you 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 do personal effects in Australia. We've got some freight to send to Australia. Can you handle this for us?" And that that's how how the business sl- slowly grew. And then after two years of <laughs> getting in my car and putting crates together on the side of the road so people could load their freight into it, I uh, I joined a couple of freight networks, international freight networks, and um, that sort of opened a whole new world for us. So with international freight networks, they're basically freight forwarders from different, uh, different countries, do exactly what we do. But um, say I need an agent, say, in in UAE. So where do I find this agent? Okay, I'm at this freight network. Let's sit down. Let's have a chat. Okay, well, when I've got business now to UAE, I'll reach out to you and contact you. Likewise, he'll do the same with me. And you build relationships. It, it's a bit like Cub, but it, it's the, the international the industry. Yeah, for the industry. And, and I, so as a, so in the freight industry, that network of people around the world is crucial because you need people to assist you with freight in different uh, regions, countries, and, and so on. It's key. We, we, without a network, you've got nothing. So, Well, the- I obviously agree with that too. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just wanted to stop there to, to talk about something. Um, I, I really am interested in like, and I think there's lots to learn from how you started the business because you, you re- it was actually quite, whether it be intentional or not, it was quite strategic, and I think that that uh, had to do with how how you succeeded. For example, um, you didn't just do freight. You know, you did a small niche in freight, which was hu- uh, uh, personal effects. And uh, a, like you said, there's not many people in that space. They don't want to go there. But b, it gave you uh, an in. It gave you a way to. When you deal with businesses, reputation is important. When you deal with customer, you got a website. You know they kind of trust that. Yeah, whatever. That's that's a business. They do that. Cool. I, I like David. I spoke to him on the phone. I, I trust that. It's easier to build that that um, uh, that connection. Mm. And because you because you you focused on a niche on personal effects, you actually built then relationships with other freight people who then, because it's such a network related industry, they already had a relationship with you. They're, they're going to, when they're sending something to Australia, whether it be personal effects or not, they're probably going to use you anyway. So by focusing on a niche and on a niche that other companies typically didn't want to go to, you actually, um, that that's how you got a successful in. And on top of that, it was relevant to you personally because you had personally just relocated. Yeah. So, so, you know, it, and even more on top of that, to, to add to the personal side of it, you're from overseas and your contacts are overseas already. So you're actually sending things back to where you where you came from. So it, it was almost like this really perfect, perhaps strategic in an accidental or not. It's, it's not accidental because you obviously chose it for a reason, like the, whether it be conscious or not, it was chosen because that was a strategic advantage of you personally. 
and that had a tremendous uh, that had a tremendous impact to to your your, your business starting. I, I would I would argue that that was probably a huge reason as to why uh, you ended up with a good in into the industry in Australia. It, it, thank you for that, Daniel. Uh, I've never really thought about it that way, but you're bang on. I mean, to me, it was just about survival. I, I need to get a business going. What what's the best What's the best thing that I can do to get a business going? Personally, personally effects made sense to me. I handled it in the UK and I did really well from it in the UK. So when I came over here, it was like I knew it was cash up front. We could charge. And then before the before the, the shipment left Australia, we'd get paid and you know ship overseas. Whereas commercial cargo, you've got people who need 30 days. You, you're giving credit. You, you basically become an extension of a bank for them. So... Yes, I, I did know about personal effects and I had relocated over here and I did build up a rapport with clients. But uh, as anybody would tell you, it is hard dealing on that B2C scale. Whereas B2B, B2B is, is hard as well, but B2C, when, you, when something goes wrong, which, which it does in freight forwarding, you know, freight gets stuck in, in, in ports and quarantine get involved in things, and unfortunately, they're things out of your control. Completely out of our control. But you've got to be accountable, and 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 that's key. And that that's how I think I've I've built the business. And anybody that's ever come into the business, it's hundred percent customer service. And I, I'm a great believer. If you do things, if you do the right things by people, it'll come back. So. I was never out to make a quick book. It was always a case of, okay, how can we take care of you? I want you to have a fantastic experience with us. I want you to to go away happy that you worked with across the ocean shipping. We, we've had clients, and they call them boomerang poms, who've, who've moved over to Australia, gone back to the UK, then realised, oh, you know what, it actually, it's not that good in the UK. I'm coming back to Australia. And we've, we've moved them three ways, you know, from, from Australia to the UK, Back to Australia. It's, How yeah. funny. Yeah. You know, we call members. So like right now, there's this great influx of boomerang members happening at Cub. We call members that have left the club and then come back boomerangs. <laughs> and, and right now, there's this huge influx of members that were members in the first, you know, two years or three years when Cub was very, very different. And they're all boomerang <laughs> back. So whenever one joins back again... Um, uh, if we accept them, because <laughs> sometimes they have grudges. But if when they join back again, we're like, oh, boomerang. <laughs> we're like, let's show them what Cub is now. You know, it's a good opportunity. But uh, anyway, that's Cub's little fun boomerang thing. But but tell me, because you, I, I don't know if you always knew, thought, or wanted to be a business owner, but I did read that you actually had a conversation, perhaps in Nepal or, or on your journeys with someone who who – somewhat inspired you or, or, or I'm not sure how you describe it? Yeah, so that was when I was backpacking in 2004. I ended up in a bar in Ho Chi Minh. I was on my own. It was a very random night and it, it sticks in my mind to this day. I'd met a guy, his name was Sam. He was from Idaho. And I'd got, um, I'd got an Aston Villa sweatband on. They're my football team in the UK. And he said, oh, Aston Villa. I don't know nothing about soccer, but I love Ozzy Osbourne and I know Ozzy Osbourne's from Aston, Birmingham. And then we spent the whole night then just, just talking, just me and him in this bar and it was a small, dirty old bar, you know, I was a backpacker, I was drinking cheap as possible. Anyway, the, the doors closed and, and they left us in this bar and he was he, he sort of told me his life story that he, he'd, he'd always been a bit of a loser. He, he'd got nothing and... Um, one day, one day he just decided, things just clicked with him. He just decided that, you know what, I want to make something of myself. I want to study to do something. And he, he, he had a look at things and what he could study. And one of these things was an anaesthetist. So he sat down, he studied, went to medical school, did everything, and he became an anaesthetist. And he, he said, that just proved to me that you can do anything in your life that you want. And I took that mantra with me for the rest of my trip. You can do anything you want in life. If you put your mind to it, you're prepared to sacrifice. You can do anything you want. 
So it was that point that I th- thought, you know what, if the opportunity arises, I'm gonna I'm gonna go for it and grab it. And you know, one of the reasons I went backpacking and quit a really good job in the UK was because you know what, I, I wanted to escape. I wanted to to get out the the rat race and. My mum said, oh, you're mad, you're mad, what, what are you doing? I said, don't worry, there'll be a job for me when I come back, it's it's all good, and everything works out, you know, so sometimes you just got to put your balls on the line and go for it, and, um, and that's what we do as business owners. I agree, and but what's interesting is that, you know, it, it's a, you just never know what can come from meeting someone. You know, what can come from even just talking to some random dude you know, in some cheap bar in Thailand somewhere or wherever you were, um, yeah, at 1 a.m. in the morning, yep. you know, with the bars closed or whatever it is and they're locking up and you're sitting there thinking God knows what, just talking to this strange guy from Idaho, you know, and, 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 and what, how that one conversation, regardless of perhaps how grungy it may, it may be, how that one conversation can impact your life. You know, you, you just speaking to people, human beings need human beings. They need to speak to others. You just don't, that's one of the beautiful things about Cub. In fact, it's, you're just meeting all these incredible, unique, different people. I was telling someone, I, was, I had dinner with a group of members last night and I was just telling them, I was like, you read people's podcast prep sheets and you're like, God, everyone's got some weird shit about them. Someone yesterday said, it's not weird, Daniel. It's, um, unique or no, it's interesting. Can't say weird. I was like, no, no, it's pretty weird. Like there's all these like interesting things that, that, that every single human has like every single member that I speak to on this episode, obviously I love them all because they're all business owners, but, but aside from the business owner aspect, the human aspect, people have these incredible stories and these incredible, like even yourself, like, you know, the fact that you, you know, in England, Australia looked like this exotic place, you know, all you see, it's funny how Australia's re- represented to the rest of the world. It's always represented like people wrestling crocodiles and like my friends overseas are like, oh my God, like, do you, you know, are you scared in your backyard? I'm like, why? Oh, the snakes will get you and, and you know, all this stuff. But it, it's funny people's perception of it. You went from that to then the newspaper, you traveled, then you couldn't even get there, but your girlfriend somehow got you there because of the visa, she was a nurse. And then, you know, you weren't, a, you didn't have in your mind business ownership, but then you speak to some uh, guy in a bar who used to be a loser, but now he's an, an, an anesthetist and, and that inspires you. And then you get to Australia, you start a business, you, you find your niche. Like, it's just this, it's just weird. Like, I don't care what anyone says, like they're weird stories, but but I think they're really cool stories and, and you hear, and you hear people starting at different starting points. And that's what else is really cool because like, um, I'll speak to, like, there's a lot of people in my position that had a, a very good starting point. They, they, were, they were lucky in fact, in fact. Um, and, and it's less interesting their stories because it's kind of like, yeah, well that makes sense that you, you know, that's what you're doing or you, you're doing good. But then there's people that really like yourself who really started from, from scratch, you know, either moved countries or didn't have anything when they started or didn't know anyone in business or, or, you know, and, and they're the real interesting stories. And, and you've had a business for 13 years now, right? That's, that's not going anywhere. That's, it doesn't matter uh, that this great resignation, the, you know, COVID that, you know, that, if you've gone 13 years already, it doesn't matter how hard it's going to get, like you're going to, you're, you're going to keep going. It's so much built into your life by that point that it is you, you know, it, you'd, you'd rather die than lose it because it's, it's, it's been there. You're willing to sacrifice things to, to keep it. And, and that's what's, it, it's kind of like, a, I just went on a rant, but it's kind of like a child that, you know, that you, you, you just keep it alive no matter what. And you keep growing, keep being healthy, keep being a good citizen to the world, impact others in a good way. Like it, it really is. That, that, that's very true. And, it it is it is like it is your baby, and the only the only way you stay in business is by looking after your clients, and and that's key, and knowing what you're doing as well along the way. Now, by knowing what you're doing, you mean be specialist in yeah yeah because yeah. I mean being good to, at what you do yeah to to be a freight forwarder it, it's not regulated here in Australia. Anybody can open up as a, as a freight forwarder. You know, the problem with that is. There's a lot of companies out there that, that aren't good. There's some really good companies. And the way I, I've always tried to build the build the business is 
We just need to be 1% better than everybody else, be it the customer service, be it our knowledge. You know, we had a shipment a few Christmases ago that uh, landed in, in Sydney and I got a phone call from our agent over in Houston and he says, um, my agent in South Africa, a good friend of mine, he says he, he shipped these big uh, monster earth move, moving trucks in into Sydney on a, a Roro vessel that have arrived in quarantine have said, um, no, you haven't got any import permits for them. You need to send them back. He said, don't worry. I've got a, I've got a friend in, in Australia and this is from networking. Um, David Ahern, reach out to him across the ocean shipping. They'll sort it and they'll rearrange the, the re-export for, for us. So long story short, we went through the whole process with quarantine and um, we, we arranged the re-export back out to South Africa um, for, for this agent. And he was put on to me by, by this guy in Houston, um, Paul, who, who'd introduced us. Paul said, you know what? You've done a brilliant job with that. There's a $10,000 profit share. <laughs> so, Merry Christmas. So, and, and that, that little things like that are, are great experiences. And, and that's just about knowing, knowing your shit. If you don't know your shit, particularly in this industry, things can go very, very wrong. This other freight forwarder that had bought it into Sydney, didn't know that they couldn't be imported into Australia. They hadn't done their homework. And that's why it's vital. You've got to know what you're moving and how to move it. Otherwise, you, it, things are going to get very messy very quickly, especially when we're dealing with international regulations. And it's not just in Australia. It's when you're moving stuff into into Asia and, you know, like Indonesia. If you're moving books to Indonesia. You need to know the total of every single book and you've got to put it there because they don't want certain material in that country. Every country is different, so you've got to be on top of that and you've got to keep learning because every day rules and regulations are changing, particularly right now. So that's what we sort of pride ourselves on. And it's actually industry agnostic, what you said is, I mean, if you want to be great in business, well, two ways, two things you should do, look after your customer and be the best at what you do. Always be training what you do. Always be learning. Always be developing. You know, if you're looking after people and you're genuinely great at what you do. If, if we look after members, we make sure they feel special and happy and, and welcome. And we're the best way for them to meet other business owners and to build a network and build new relationships that can make them stronger in business. Well, that's all really we should be doing. You know, that's it, it. it's kind of a cool yeah. combination. Look after your customer. Be the best at what you do or yeah. be very good at what you do. And then and then you find they're referring you to other people yeah. and yeah. you're growing organically and Le- that's what it's all about. Lessons of life. Yeah. And you, you mentioned that there, there are, because there's no uh, barrier to entrance for the industry, there, there may be a lot of cowboys um, and, and, you know, uh, uh, which can cause um, issues for clients, but also a, a, a lot of people I would assume could potentially have bad reputations. So I'm assuming because it's such a globally connected network of freight forwarders and people in the space, your reputation um, is everything in that industry. Is that something that uh, you, you'll try to pride yourself on or you'll try to build your, your reputation? 100%. Reputation is everything. Uh, as in most businesses, you're only as good as your reputation. If, if you fuck up, you've got to put your hand up and front up. And sometimes that means we have to eat things that we don't want to eat. But you know what? We have to own it. And things are always going to go wrong in in freight forwarding. But if you can build yourself a good reputation, I I spent 10 years flying around the world, growing, growing across the ocean's presence with other freight forwarders. I used to attend network events you know, in, in different countries. I've been to Asia, all over Asia. I've been to Panama and just peddled the name across the ocean shipping. You build those relationships. You build that reputation. If you can't do something, you say, look, this is not for us. We can't do this, but I know somebody that can help you. We take on what we can take on and we try and do the best we can. That's so important. And and I guess that was part of your... So, I mean, networking is truly part of the of the business. You know, you need to, you need to know people from other things. And because it is such a challenging business, both based on reputation and building that, and also on actual delivery and things being out of your control, has, what's the worst thing that's, that you've kind of ever overcome in, in, in business? <laughs> I'm laughing. <laughs> um, <laughs> there are a lot of bad things. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
It's um, back in 2018. We we had a tough time of it. So I I was on the the international circuit. You know, you'd see the same companies. You know, overseas. Um, you'd see the same freight forwarders on the same circuit. We come across this guy in Singapore, and uh, he took a dislike to us. Um, he he accused us of uh, basically attending all these network events around the world and taking taking the the freight forwarders from them and forming our own freight network, which was completely untrue. But ironically, this guy had his own freight network that was run by his daughter, but he didn't like to mention that. So to draw attention away from him. He started attacking us personally. Sorry, so he felt that you, just to clarify, he felt that you were building your own independent freight network and potentially taking from his freight network that he had built. 100%, yeah. And so he started, he didn't like that. So I I saw him at this this network event in in Cebu, Philippines, and he, he was there as a guest and he was peddling people to to join his daughter's, I use the word loosely, freight network. Anyway, we we were there at the time as well, and we'd met one of his agents, and he got, he he got upset with with us. And next thing I know, um, I'm back in Australia, and uh, I, I get an email from from the the biggest freight network in the world saying, um, you, you, "You've broke our rules. You're out." And there's the six thousand freight agents in the in this network. So what's going on here? Anyway, it turns out this guy with his freight network that his daughter runs, he one of the owners of the biggest freight networks, also has shares in this business. So he went on a one man mission to try and destroy my 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 personal reputation and, and my business. So this didn't just happen with, with one network, it was it was two, three networks that um we got thrown out of. Fortunately, a lot of the other guys, the owners of the other freight networks, knew me personally. They called me up. They said, Dave, we've got a problem with this guy. He's calling us. Look, we know if you'd set up another freight network and you were peddling business, that somebody would have told us. Nobody's told us. We know you. You've got your reputation. We trust you. Just letting you know what's going on. Great. Okay. So we, we fire a letter at him from, from our lawyer and um, basically told him, we're going to have you for defamation if you carry on down this route. You, you, you basically, you, you're going after us, you, you're slandering the business, it's not on. Anyway, we, we pinged him off a letter. He, he calmed down for a bit. He, uh, he then, he, then he, he saw my, my, um, my general manager from my US office in, at a China conference and start, start, started it again a couple of years later. Again, same thing. Get out of here. Anyway, so that 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 was a big learning lesson at the time. It just felt like I was I was you know I was getting punched in the face, and I I hadn't done anything wrong. So it it, it was at that point I went right. Okay, we need to take control of our own destiny here. Let's pivot out of this. We've built our reputation. We've got our overseas agents. We've done really well. We've got a great base. Now let's let's get back home and concentrate on building a direct client base. Let's get out, start networking in Australia, meeting people and and growing, really growing our client base down here. At least then we're in control of what we're doing and we're not at the whim of other people. Hence one of the reasons I find myself sitting next to you right now, Daniel. Lucky man. <laughs> How's Cub been for you? Cub's been fantastic. It's fantastic. And one of the reasons I joined Cub was was for the reason to ra- surround myself with with good people and people that I could lean on at that time. When, when all that was kicking off, I realized I'd got no support network with me. It was basically me. Being the owner of a business can be incredibly lonely, as a lot of business owners will tell you. It is It is important that we surround ourselves with good people. Now, a lot of, a lot of, I suppose a lot of CEOs, managing directors, owners of businesses don't want to take home and put it on their wives and their family, what's going on. So you tend to bottle it up. Or husbands. 
<laughs> Very true, yeah. Yes, sorry, yes. You tend to bottle it up. So the good thing about being somewhere with like Cub is you make relationships with people and you can learn a hell of a lot from them. And it's a good place to sort of celebrate the good times. But then also when you're having low times, you can lean on somebody and you generally find somebody's been through something very similar. You know, business isn't easy. If it was easy, everybody would do it. And yeah, one of the great things about about Cub is the, the diversity of business here. And it doesn't matter what the business is, it's amazing what you can learn from the people in it. Yeah, I agree. I think you learn more from people in different businesses. And so it's interesting. So from such a negative experience that you had with someone kind of slandering your name in, in a, a network that you were somewhat at that point reliant on to do business with and to trade with, you then thought, you know what, if, if this is how fickle, you know, I, I don't want to, I want within my power, I want ownership over my, my trade and my business as a whole. I, I need my own network of people. Is that kind of what happened? You were like, okay, I'm going to get out of this and I'm going to build, um, um, I guess, my own personal network of, of freight people. Is that what happened? Or? It was a case of don't get mad, don't get even, rise above it and be so successful that they can't hurt you. So my aim then was, right, let's let's build our client base here in Australia. Let's go out, start meeting people, start knocking on doors. Okay, you you import from China? Okay, can we help you? I spent I, I spent so long growing our international network and, and getting this this feed of business from from agents overseas that it was time to pivot out and you know people say as one door closes another one opens. In business, you can either you can either curl up in a ball, cry, and wait for it all to be over, or you can get up and you can rise above it. So my my aim then was right. Let's get let's get busy in Australia. Let's concentrate on our local market. And you know what? It was the best thing we ever did. Yeah. See, I, I what I love about that is I do believe that for every big down, there's an up, and I also believe it's vice versa. I just think there's balance. Uh, the world throws balance at you. So, but but you've got the ability to see so not everyone bounces back up is the problem if you look for the positive and you act for the positive then you'll find the equal swing up but a lot of people don't they just stay down and that's 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 the that's the problem so there's always balance that brings you down and then sends you back higher but the, but some people just don't do that they just they stay down and it, it's the winner's mentality and you mentioned um you know I had to be the bigger man and and rise above it and being the bigger man is not easy because you know, if someone hits you, you want to hit them back. Like you know, like yeah. you, you, it's I, I can relate to that. Like yeah. you just in in in, in any aspect, like it, it's hard to be the bigger man. And I think in most cases, um, it's important. It's the right thing to do, and it's the and it's the um, and it's also the better thing for yourself to do. You know, you, you're probably better off using your energies towards benefiting yourself as opposed to. Um, hurting someone else or unless you're so big you can screw someone over without any energy just to, you know, to make a point but 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 um but it, as a majority yeah you know what i mean like yeah is your energy better being spent being angry and trying to you know do something to someone else or is that same amount of energy which is a lot of energy better spent being put towards yourself and your own progression it always is better for yourself. Of course it is. And what you've got to remember as well is you've got a team of people behind you that are relying on you. As as the head of the business, you've got a team of staff that are, that are loyal to you, working every day, that if you fall down, they can't go home. They can't go home and pay their mortgages. They've got to look for new jobs. So you've got to rise above it. You've got to, you've got to be strong for your team. And you've got to take you got to you got to take punches on the nose along the way. But you know what? It's it's all worth it in the end. Yeah, it's all worth it. It's the old uh, slice to learn. It's not how it's not how hard you can hit. It's how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. God, that movie is just so good. Just so many life lessons in that movie. You could watch that movie and basically never have to go to school again. So like, true. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty much the fundamental lesson of life. You know, just move forwards, work hard. Doesn't matter. Get getting hit. Keep moving forwards. Keep fighting back. Like it's 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 probably why it's so successful. It's just it's the most fundamental human lesson of just life. 
of, of any life. I'm not even sending my kids to school. They're just walking, watching Rocky 1 to fucking 6. <laughs> when he takes down that Russian, yeah. that'd be real relevant. <laughs> um, and tell me, so uh, you've got a family. How does, how does and, and you do work big hours. I, I know how, how many hours you work. How do you, how do you balance that? And, and I guess how, does, how has that impacted your, your uh, personal life? I think with 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 any business owner, say say you've got a wheel, you find ninety eight percent of that wheel is work, two percent is everything else, and you find yourself ingrained in it. Um, I I've been a coach of San, at Sandringham Soccer Club now for the last five years, and I just find it a massive release coaching kids. You know, this year we've got, got an under nines team and. You know, I, I'm a massive soccer fan, being from England, and it's just great. I've I've had these some of these kids from from the age of sort of five all the way up to to nine, and watched them progress. So that, that's a, that's a great outlet for me, and it, it also enables me to spend real quality time with my son. So I, I really enjoy that. Um, we like we like to, obviously like to to travel when we can. It's not been great recently, but. Um, Particularly with, with with opening an office over in the US, you know, I've had my guys in the US working from home for eighteen months. If you told me back at the end of twenty nineteen that I wouldn't be able to travel to the US and see my US team and they'd be working from home, I'd just go. The business isn't going to survive, but it's gone the other way. It's it's, thri- it's thrived. So, I suppose in a way, you've got to have a good team of people around you so you can let go. You learn to let go and. As the business has progressed and my team has got better, I've I've let go of more and spent more time, more time with the family. Yeah, yeah, personally. I agree with that. You, it does require ninety eight percent of your focus and energy to get it to the point of which where the team can take some of that. Night, you know, they can take, um, uh, I don't know. 22% of that, of that 98%, you know, and they can take that off you and, and give you that extra, um, that extra, give you that 30% time to, to, to spend with the family or whatever, whatever the, the makeup is. But I definitely do believe that y- y- it does require that focus to get it to the point to then spend time. Hey, how many offices do you have? You've got an office in the US, you've got an office here in Australia, you've got where, anywhere yeah. else? Um, yeah, so we Office here in Australia is 13 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, 2017, I opened up in LA. Mm-hmm. So we, we got uh, six people over in the US now, which is going great guns. And then we just opened a small branch office as well a couple of years ago in the Netherlands. Um, we've got a lot of business coming out of there, um, machinery. Um, so it just, just made sense. And do you find that in times like this, in turmoil times, it's good to have offices in different regions because – you know, if Australia is doing shit, well, then the US might be doing good and it might balance it. Or if, if you know, if the Netherlands is or whatever, then Australia might be doing good. The way I see it, Daniel, is you've got so many hours a day, you, you make money here in Australia, you go to sleep at night, another office is on, online. Make and, money in, yeah, in, in night yeah, time. 24, there's 24 hours in a clock. Yep. So <laughs> in an ideal scenario, you think you're making money 24 hours. But... Um, Obviously, there's the stresses and strains with time zones that come with that. But uh, having an international uh, presence was, US is a completely different market to Australia. There was an opportunity there, so I decided to expand. Didn't want to keep all my eggs in one basket. I know we're good at what we do. Let's take that into the US market as well. Completely different market, 340 million people, 25 million people in Australia. Oh, my God, isn't that amazing? Yeah. Imagine how easy it must be to get rich there. Yeah, like just so many people to sell to. Just by yeah, yeah. If there's 340 million fish in a pond, and then the other pond has 24 million fish, like <laughs> your odds of hitting a fish when you throw a fucking spear in the, in the American pond is a lot higher. In fact, you're probably gonna like go through fucking ten of them like one throw. Like it's just it's just mind boggling. <laughs> Not yeah. that you're in it to make money or anything, but it's just like. You know, just ha- more the ease of it must be easier, better taxes, more inclined to promote you know entrepreneurs and business people. There's oh, no yeah. tall poppy syndrome. Oh, yeah, it's it's a different market, but you got you got other negatives as well. But like I experienced the multiple office benefit, uh, particularly through COVID, 
in realizing, oh, this state's open, but this state's closed. This state's open. like Australia was running independently. I was thinking, shit, I should have fucking had all clubhouses in in all the states because yeah, Melbourne's uh, shut, but uh, Perth and Brisbane and Sydney are gone. Oh shit, Sydney's gone, but doesn't matter. Perth and Bris- Perth, uh, Perth and Brisbane are still going. Oh, there's Adelaide, it's doing all right, you know. So I'm gonna have a yeah. big push to just get open in every state in the next 24 months because uh, oh, it's just safer. Yeah. Like it's just it, it, it's almost like the bigger you get. The, the safer the business is, the harder it can fall. But the, actually, technically, statistically, the, the the bigger a business is, the the higher its survival rate is over a five year period. Spread the risk. Yeah. Maximize maximize your opportunities. So if you're spread, if you spread club across Australia, you've got all those people pinging into into your clubhouse. Whereas if you're just in in one or two states. You've only got a limited pool of people you can take and you can only get so big. Mm, no. Spread it. Um, Go international, Daniel. LA. Oh, well, we definitely will. Well, I, the problem is I don't care about international business owners. I love Australian business owners. I like serving Australia's business owners. By Australia's, of course, I mean any business owner in Australia. Um, but but that's who I love. That's my passion at this point in time. A lot of people say to me, like, oh, why don't you have um, why don't you have uh, you know membership or networking for uh, executive teams for, for, for the members and things. Like that. I don't care about them. I care about business owners. That's who I love. I, if I'm going to work and get real tired and sacrifice my energy and my time with basically everybody and I'm going to do it for the people that I love the most. And I love the business owners that, that you know, like you got to choose your, I don't even know how I got onto that, but anyway, we got to wrap up cause we're about finished. Um, do you, are you a reader or are you, do, do you have, we like to leave people with one thing to remember you by. You know, do you have a favorite quote, a greatest lesson, a favorite book? Um, that's pretty much all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty much all the options. I, I am a reader. I read a lot of a lot of books, autobiographies, and business books. Scaling up, I use as as my bible. That is a good book. Yeah, it's a great book by um, Vern Hirsch. Is yeah, it? Yeah, brilliant book. Um, quote wise, if you're going through hell, keep going. Winston Churchill. What a genius man that man was. Absolutely. Yeah, he's one of the greatest leaders of all time. Yeah. Um, we could do with him right now. Oh, we could. Yeah, don't worry, I'm practicing my prime ministerial skills. Uh, he's one of my, uh, you watch, yeah, don't laugh now, you wait. Wait a few years when I'm done with the business world. Um, um, <laughs> it's going to be real good for businesses in Australia when I get there. Um, all right. Uh, thank you so much, David. Thank you for your time today. And, of course, thank you for your involvement in the club. I'm sure you know, but we're a much stronger club, much better club because of your involvement. Um, to the listeners, if you want to find out more about my good friend, David Ahern, um, go to club forward slash podcast, get in contact with him, check out his website, uh, view favorite quotes, biggest lessons, more book recommendations. You can check out the other podcast guests we have. It's actually an incredible page of the website. Definitely go look at it. Um, uh, and if you want to catch up with Cub on social media, it's at Club United Business on Instagram. Uh, you'll see tons of short clips of all the podcast episodes and much more. You'll be able to check out what we do here at Cub, uh, which is always fun and exciting. We basically bring together a bunch of legends every day. David, thank you, sir. Thank you, Daniel. It's been a pleasure. Hope you enjoyed the show.